welcome to the Film for Fans podcast, your home for movie news, reviews, and movie fan views. This is the podcast from movie fans for movie fans. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Ryan Dunleavy. I am joined by my co-host, Rob Dunham. And I would like to say hola, Cribs, who is our Mexican resident listener who I met on Reddit through the Top Spunt Digital Baseball Card Community. And probably yep. won't hear this episode for a couple of weeks because he's going through them in order. Okay. Hey, man. Oh, <laughs> Thanks for listening. There's more great shows ahead. Speaking I mean, of we have listeners, shows. we have listeners in Mexico, Ryan. So yes. if if you can't tell your friends who like live in the town you live in here in the United States, like you're real slacking because we've got people in other countries listening to us now. So get yep. on this bandwagon because People all over the world are listening to us. I can say that now. That's right. People all over the world. So subscribe, tell your friends. If you don't, we will report you to Interpol. Because <laughs> we have that kind of pool now. Oh, yeah. It is definitely certain. Yes. <laughs> all right. We got an awesome show for you. We're going to talk about uh, Steven Spielberg giving his kind of... Um, idea essay on why he thinks the movie theaters are still going to be a huge part of American society. We're going to take a look back at Tom Cruise and Will Smith's impressive movie runs, and we are going to get into some updates on the Justice League Snyder Cut, as well as playing of our version of the Kevin Bacon game. So, I think at this, we'll, we'll get there, but I think at this point we can just call it the Snyder Uncut. <laughs> yes we can yes we can <laughs> all right well we'll get to that one so let's kick it off let's kick it off and start out with uh steven spielberg so uh for empire online steven spielberg uh wrote an essay about why it was that he believes that cinemas will never die and it was it was really good. It was it's a part of a larger piece that you're doing with a number of actors, directors, and, and things of that nature. And it's kind of it's kind of meant to inspire and and really let people know what the movie industry really means and why it should be saved and why they think it still has a place going forward. And I I personally I thought it was really really good. Um, he really gets into um, something that I think is very, really valuable. Um, so we'll get your thoughts on this too. Um, what did you think of what did you think of Spielberg's essay and and kind of this whole idea of cinema never die? Well, I actually found it strangely moving. If that makes any sense. Like I wasn't expecting to read a couple paragraphs by Steven Spielberg and be like, "Oh yeah," but like I did, and when I was done reading it, I thought. Wow, I miss theaters a lot more than I thought I did. <laughs> yeah. Because he just really, uh, he did a great job of encapsulating the thought of what a theater going experience is. And that it's separate and dissimilar from watching something at home. Because the main point he put forward is that you're in the company of strangers. And I think that's something that we don't always have our sights on because the theater experience has an interesting dichotomy because in one sense you are going to see a movie with a bunch of strangers but typically you're going with one person or a group of friends so you're kind of there with them but you're also in the presence of a whole room full of people you don't know and especially when you're going like an opening weekend to a major blockbuster that experience of collective astonishment or insight or surprise is something that you can't match at your house by yourself while you're watching a movie. It's just not the same. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the part for me that I, I found particularly inspiring, and I thought he was dead on with this, is where he talks about the, the fact that because we live in such a divided country and because we seem to be at each other's throats so much over so many things, I think one of the underrated reasons why it's been so bad this year is that lack of common space lack of the places where we can all go and we can all share in, a, in the same experience, no matter who we are, you know, you know, no matter what, you know, color, race, party, whatever, 
you are. You go to the theater, you watch an incredible movie, you're all laughing, you're all cheering, you're all doing something together. That, that common space where for that brief amount of time, we're all together, we're all sharing an experience and, and it feels like we're all the same. Um, he really hits on that. And I think that's, there's something so very true about that. And I'll, you know, I'll read a little quote where he says, we don't know who all these people are sitting around us, but when, we, when the experience makes us laugh or cry or cheer or contemplate, and when the lights come up and we leave our seats, the people with whom we head out into the real world don't feel like complete strangers anymore. You know, we become a community is what he says. And I think that's something we've sorely lacked. And so I think that is a role that theaters play. And I think, you know, listening to him describe it does make you miss it. <laughs> it really does. It does make you miss it and, and miss those spaces where we can all come together and, and, and experience something in a communal way. Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, it's something that as more time passes by, I mean, we've been to the theater a couple of times together and on our own but it is definitely not the same experience right now. No. So um, definitely making me yearn for that kind of environment and that ability to connect with other people. Yeah, I was in a theater last night and there were 12 people and it felt full. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're like, you're too close to me, get away. <laughs> it's just like, it was just like, I have not been in a theater with 12 people in it since yeah. I think the tenant premiere and that was in an IMAX theater. So there was like 25 yeah. of us in there and it was a giant theater. So yeah, just, just that experience and the excitement and the energy that, that the crowd has on opening night. Um, yeah, I miss it. So good, uh, good for Spielberg. I'm, I'm glad that, I'm glad that a lot of the, the people who are so involved in movie making care about it so much. And I think that bodes well for the industry surviving. Now we'll see, but I have hope for it. Yeah, I think that uh, overwhelmingly the feeling that he was trying to present with the article was that sense of hopefulness and that we're moving forward and that we will get back to uh, everyone being together. He said, I, th I think he put it something along the lines of, um, I remain somewhere between hopeful and certain. Yeah. So I think there's no doubt in his mind that we'll get back to that point. So the question is just when at this point. Yeah. And I think we can all use doses of optimism <laughs> and, and anything yeah, like that that feels optimistic is great. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of not optimism in the world right now. Yeah. If only there was a word for that. <laughs> like pessimism. <laughs> You know how sometimes when you're talking and you forget what word you're thinking of and you just mm -hmm. have to describe it? Yeah, that just happened. Yeah. Hey, that's all good. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's move on to our second one. And this is something you brought to uh, my attention. Um, it was a list of something that someone put out on Reddit. And uh, it was really interesting when you think about it. And it's basically this idea that both Tom Cruise and Will Smith had streaks of seven consecutive movies that grossed over $100 million domestically, as well as 11 consecutive movies that grossed $100 plus million worldwide. That's impressive. Yeah. Those are incredibly impressive streaks. Um, so just to run down, run down the, the movies here real quick, Tom Cruise... Uh, his streak began in 1988 with the movie Cocktail. Then he had Rain Man, Born on the Fourth of July, Days of Thunder, Far and Away, A Few Good Men, The Firm, Interview with a Vampire, Mission Impossible, Jeremy Jeremy uh, Jerry Maguire, Eyes Wide Shut. Then um, the streak was broken with Magnolia. No surprise there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, then his. Uh, and that was the eleven that that was the eleven that were international, and the seven that seven straight movies that were hundred plus million domestically were Mission Impossible Two, Vanilla Sky, Minority Report, Last Samurai, Collateral, War of the Worlds, and Mission Impossible Three. So yeah, also you have some Mission Impossible in there for sure. It does. <laughs> now that's the interesting thing about this is very few of these movies for either one of these guys are big franchises. Yeah. 
where you can just sign up and know you're making $100 million. So I'll, we'll cover Will Smith's list in a second. What do you think, what do you make of Tom Cruise's list? Um, what do you think, what do you think is the most impressive, least impressive, best movie on the list? Well, I think we'll get to this with Will Smith too, along the same vein. I have some thoughts there, but um, with Tom Cruise, I think the thing that's impressive with his uh, international streak is that some of these movies like Days of Thunder, um, et cetera, are just not like movies that you would think would make a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. And I think it speaks to his abilities as an actor and people wanting to see him in things that uh, movies like that and Rain Man and other things are you know high grossing films because i don't think i don't think on their own if you attach a different actor to them they have as much success and so that's the thing i found most impressive about it um i think that when he got into the mission impossible movies uh that's when and that's what we saw like mission impossible 2 was the start of his domestic streak and when uh those movies started coming out people really started flocking to him in the united states uh, big time and we're there for all of his movies um, and I don't think that's any surprise because the first one was impressive and I don't think that was a given that it was going to be because it was there at that point Mission Impossible was one of the I, I think it was probably one of the first series of movies that came out that was based on like an old tv show or an old property that and I don't think there was any guarantee that it was going to be this huge success yeah. Um, but it was. It was like a massive success and more and more came after and are still coming. Um, <clears throat> so I, I think that uh, that really turned him into an, an American movie star. So I'm not at all surprised that he had that run of success. And I think even uh, the thing about the domestic streak that impressed me was Collateral, making over 100 million, because that is not like a blockbuster movie. That's a very intense person-to-person -person kind of not quite an independent movie but more of that feel you know mm -hmm. um and the fact that that still made over 100 million dollars is an achievement for sure yeah that that one collateral is probably my most underrated on his list it is a fantastic movie him and jamie fox jamie fox was, was great in that the soundtrack in that is awesome uh, the action, the action is cool. It's, it's, it's a really good movie. If you haven't seen Collateral, you definitely should. And uh, I think, I think the one that probably surprises me most um, on the list is, um, I want to say, I'll, I'll go with, with what you said. I'll say Days of Thunder because mm -hmm. it made 158 million worldwide. It's like, that's a NASCAR movie yeah <laughs> a movie about car racing like who international is watching a movie about nascar right racing? i that that surprises me that surprises me so maybe yeah. it's just curiosity about things from america mm -hmm. what's interesting too is the international ones most i mean there's some action in there but there's a wide variety of different types of films the ones he made money on domestically are almost all action movies so it's it it kind of shows that what makes the money in the American box office still is the action movie. See, that's true, but also slightly not true when you look at the other guy. Yes. Which I found very interesting. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to, uh, let's move on to Will Smith. So Will Smith, um, his streak began in 2003 with Bad Boys 2, then iRobot, Shark Tale, Hitch, The Pursuit of Happiness, I am legend, Hancock, and that's that. Hancock is the one, uh, the last one in his domestic streak, but it continued on internationally with Seven Pounds, Men in Black Three, After Earth, and Focus. So, interesting list for for Will Smith. Whereas a lot of Tom Cruise's ones took place in the '90s. All of Tom or all of Will Smith's took place in the uh, the 2000s and early into the 2010s. Yeah, I would say the thing that stood out to me the most is a three movie span there with Shark Tale, Hitch, and The Pursuit of Happiness. Now, Shark Tale, I'm not overly surprised that it did well because kids' animated movies tend to do pretty well from the main uh, distributors like Pixar and uh, DreamWorks, etc. 
but uh, Hitched in the Pursuit of Happiness, I think both of those movies doing so well speak directly to Will Smith being a movie star. Yeah. Because I think that you put almost anyone in that role in either of those movies and it doesn't make the money it does. Yeah. Because I don't think those are blockbuster movies. Those aren't movies that should make a lot of money. But they made a lot of money because Will Smith was in them. Yeah. <laughs> That's my opinion. Yeah, I mean, Hitch was a romantic comedy. Like, it's a very, very good romantic comedy. But it is. It's a romantic comedy. So you usually get your normal romantic comedy crowd, and that's, you know, that's what you get. Yeah, it's just usually not hundreds of millions of dollars. No. I mean, Hitch <laughs> made $372 million worldwide, $179 million in the U.S. Yeah. That's a big deal. Yeah, a, a third of a billion dollars. <laughs> yeah, and I remember that. That movie was well-marketed, too. It was well marketed. It looked like a good movie right from the outset. So I think they did it. It was a good movie and they did a good job marketing it. And Will Smith is Will Smith. And that's Yeah, you never you never know. Sometimes you can have a great movie that's marketed poorly. Sometimes you can have a poor movie that's marketed well. And yeah. you never really know if you're gonna land on both. Well, and I'll give you an example from Tom Cruise that's not on his list, and that's Jack Reacher. Jack mm. Reacher is a fantastic movie, but it was marketed all wrong. Like they completely screwed up the marketing for that movie, and that's the reason it did not do better. Yeah. So I what's what stood out to me that was interesting about Will Smith's list was some of the numbers. Like the numbers on a lot of his movies are just huge, just huge, huge, huge. But the one that that just leaps off the page to me is Hancock made six hundred twenty nine million dollars worldwide. That wasn't even a good movie. Yeah. 629 million. I mean, I you know you're on a hot streak when you can produce a, a C-plus movie at best and make 629 yeah. million. It was pretty broadly panned here in the United States. I know that. Yeah, and it still made 229, 228 million in the U.S. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, and you so, want, I mean, that one being the last on the list makes you wonder, like, did did the people who went to that movie think, oh no, I've made a huge mistake and I'm not going <laughs> to risk going to see Will Smith in a major movie again? <laughs> and I'm not surprising the streak that the streak broke down um, domestically was seven pounds because that was a much heavier uh, drama that was definitely not a mass market audience movie. Yeah. So I'm not surprised that that one did not make huge bank in the, uh, in the U.S., um, but it still did internationally. Um, the other one, I thought, I thought to me, the most underrated one on his list is iRobot. I think iRobot is just an incredible movie. That's incredible sci-fi. Yeah, I agree. It's so well done. It's, it's just, it's an amazing adaption. And it's, it's just, it's, it's the best of what sci-fi has to offer. It's philosophical. It's interesting. It's captivating. Um, it presents you with a lot of a lot of thought problems and dilemmas, which is what good sci-fi does. Is it makes you contemplate the direction that we're headed, and that was that was what iRobot did. So that one that one to me really stands out. So one thing I'm wondering with Will Smith too is uh, I think that his most recent movie, although not the greatest movie ever kind of returned him back into that action his last couple movies have kind of returned him back into that action phase and you look at bad boys for life and gemini man and gemini man has according to what i'm looking at right now made 174 million dollars uh the budget was 138 so that's not a huge margin like you might see some other places but it did make a significant amount of money so i'm wondering mm -hmm. if people are coming back around to him in action roles uh, a little bit See, and that's another one where I was not impressed with the marketing for that. After watching it, I was not that I was not that excited to see it. Yeah, I really wasn't. And then I actually did see it, and it was significantly better than I thought it was going to be. So I don't know what that I don't know what that says, but it was a much better movie than than what I was anticipating. And I agree with you on that too. We agree about a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's because we're so smart and we uh, have good opinions about things. But either way, these two, these two actors are some of the best that Hollywood has had to offer over the past 30 years. And, uh, 
and they they have both taken their turns as being sure things at the box office and uh hollywood's been better for it okay yeah, so and i i wanted ahead. to shout out the you mentioned it at the top but um just to give a little plug to uh the r slash movies community on reddit if you have never checked out reddit you should check out that area because the the work that we talked about tonight was an original thought done by somebody yeah. who figured this out you know and then posted it and there are all kinds of things like that on the site that you can check out and see different people's perspectives on things and you know what's happening in the movie industry because as much as we like to try and find and look for our own stuff all the time we can't possibly be listening to and seeing everything from every source yeah so it's it's helpful if you want to check that out to maybe broaden your movie knowledge and always really good discussions when a new movie comes out too uh, about people's different reactions to them yeah and we'll link to uh we'll link to that thread in the uh in the comments section so that you can check it out all right, so our for our for our last news item, uh, I I thought it was time to take a take a, another look at another preview look at Justice League the Snyder Cut. So <laughs> As I said before, the Snyder Uncut. Yes, the Snyder Uncut. <laughs> <laughs> so there's been a lot of stuff that's been coming out over the last uh, few weeks. Um, as as we get more of an idea of what the Snyder Cut's going to look like for Justice League, so. Uh, I thought we'd take a few moments and uh, and just kind of revisit that and give you an update on where where we stand for that. Uh, so the first thing up is that we now have an official release date for Justice League: The Snyder Cut, and that's going to be March 18th. So it's going to come out on HBO Max on March 18th. There were rumors that it might be split into several parts. It doesn't look like that's going to be the case. Um, it's going to release in its entirety on March 18th. Now we say in its entirety because some of the other information coming out about the movie is that it is long. It has a lot of entirety. It is long, long, <laughs> long. Oh my goodness. It is- Don't plan anything else for your night. No. Uh, it's gonna be four hours long. Yes. It's going to be four hours long. <laughs> No, yeah, just think about the phrase four hours of Zack Snyder and and seriously contemplate if you want to subject yourself to that before yes. watching this movie. Yes, think about that. I mean, we're going to have to because it's like our job for the podcast. Yeah. But but I might recommend that you not. <laughs> <laughs> Wait until you hear what we have to say about it first. <laughs> um, so yes, and that four hours will include at least 150 minutes of unseen footage. So this is either stuff that he had shot that didn't make it into the original cut or new reshoots and new scenes that he has added in that from part of the reshoots and the things that he's been doing over the last uh, last year or so. So he's literally adding a movie and a half to a movie. Yes. <laughs> yes. Basically. Which is why we're calling it the Snyder Uncut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because there is no footage left on the cutting room floor except that which was touched by Joss Whedon. <laughs> None of that may see the light of day ever again. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So famously, if you're not familiar, just to recap, the Justice League, which came out in, I think, 2017, um, was originally directed by Zack Snyder, but he had to leave the he had to leave the before the film was completed. Joss Whedon came in to finish up the movie, changed a bunch of things around. The movie was eh, in its reception. It was okay. Um, but then Zack Snyder kept commenting about how he didn't like how things turned out. And then it just became this internet thing that we should see the Snyder cut. And eventually it became reality and HBO Max gave him a bunch of money and let him, you know, pretty much let him do whatever he wants, obviously. <laughs> People and, literally spoke this into existence. Like that can't be understated. Yeah. Yeah. Fans literally like made this happen. It's I mean, it, in the article that uh, we'll link it. It says that they spent $75 million on reshoots for this yes. movie. Yeah. That's the budget for a large majority of movies. <laughs> the entire budget. Yes. <laughs> 
So this, this monstrosity is coming and it's going to be interesting because I don't remember, I don't, I mean, we've seen director's cuts, we've seen like edited editions, but I don't know if we've ever seen anything quite like this. I think the only thing that I can think of that even comes close is uh, like the Lord of the Rings yeah. movies or the Hobbit movies for, for just pure length. Yeah. And they weren't even this long. Yeah. So I'm, I'm planning on getting some pizza. You know, we're going to set it up in the corner with, with a nice can of Mountain Dew and some water because I'm not going to drink Mountain Dew the whole time or I'll die of caffeine overdose. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just going to, you know, sit in the corner and watch this whole thing. That's how we're going to do it. Yeah. So um, the other news, the, the movie received an R rating from the Motion Picture Association. So it will be officially rated R, whereas the, uh, the original Justice League was PG-13. No surprise with Zack Snyder involved in that. Um, known for rated his, R for rad <laughs> for his violence. Um, add some another story that came out that I thought was perfectly appropriate for the Snyder cut. Um, there is a a meal that you can get. You know, delivery meal services are are all the rage now. So if you would like to watch the Snyder cut, you can do it with Justice League themed meal kit. Oh man. Hello, Fresh. Yes, called the Mother Box. <laughs> of course. Now, the Mother Box is, wait for it, $130. <laughs> Sounds reasonable. Just a night yeah. out. So, like, double a Hello Fresh order, which has like four meals in it. <laughs> double that, and you can have the Mother Box. But it's a cool box, so it's yes. so worth it. Uh-huh. It contains Ocean Trench, which is fish and chips. Aquaman. Big Belly Burger. Mmm. Resurrection, which is some sort of corn-based dish. I'm guessing that's Superman. Big Belly Burger is the Flash. <laughs> Ancient Famous Siren Fire? Which... Is Themyscirin? Is that uh, Wonder Woman, I think? Yeah. We don't really that's know where her that... armor was from, Themyscira. Yeah. We don't really know what that is, but it's in there. I think you open the box and it just starts burning and you burn to death. Yeah. Snacks, extras, cool bra, beer. Nice. And Jitters coffee. I'm guessing the beer must be from like the bar scene in Aquaman where he's taking selfies and then fighting people. I think so. Yeah. And coffee for all of them because they're all like type A, high strung, insane people. Now, what's funny about this is the program does not kick off until April or May. Yeah, unfortunately, the Justice League cut comes out before then. Yeah, so great job on the timing there, guys. Mm, What to do? I think I'll have to wait to watch the Justice League for a couple months so I can have my mother box. (laughs) I want the full experience. Yes. So there you go. You've got your Justice League update and you now get to decide whether this monstrosity is for you i'm sorry you had to hear all that yes all right so let's move on and let's have some fun you ready to play a game rob sure i will attempt to play a game and fail miserably sounds great Ah. so um i thought we would play a little bit of six degrees of separation or the kevin bacon game Though with probably without actually using Kevin Bacon. Um, so if you're familiar with this game or you're not familiar with this game, basically the idea is that you try to connect two actors through different movies. So um, the original game with Kevin Bacon is you try you would try to um, connect an actor to Kevin Bacon through movies that they both were in or movies that another actor was in through intermediate steps. So, Rob, are you ready to play? Not really, but let's do it anyway. <laughs> All right. So we're gonna do this. We're gonna do this kind of two two separate ways. One is the traditional way, where we'll just say two different actors, and you'll have to try and negotiate movies that they were in, so that you can connect them. The other way we can do it is to name one actor, name a series of films, and then try to guess which actor is on the other end of that chain. So depending on, on what we're feeling, we may go back and forth on that. All right. Well, who's first? 
Uh, Rob, why don't you go first? All right. So I'm, I'm giving you the two actors here. Okay. Uh, Daniel Craig and Sir Patrick Stewart. Ah, Daniel Craig and Sir Patrick Stewart. Okay. So Daniel Craig... Now, it's possible you might think of one that is not what I'm actually looking at because a lot of these actors have multiple links between them. Yes, I'm sure that's true. Hmm. Okay. So. Hmm. Daniel Craig. Um, was in. Oh, man. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to get a good handle on some of the other. Daniel Craig movies. Um, yeah, a lot of these actors have been in a lot of movies, which yeah. is what makes this <laughs> a difficult process sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm trying to make an immediate connection here. I can tell you that there is one, there is one actor in between. Yeah. So Daniel Craig was in blank with blank, who was in blank with Sir Patrick Stewart. Yes. Yeah. This is this is one I know I can get. I'm just having a I'm having a hard time with starting. Yeah, I know you know both of the movies. Yeah. So, okay, let me think here. This may be. I'm gonna I'm gonna go stream of consciousness. So I don't know if this is gonna connect what? or not. <laughs> so Daniel Craig was in Skyfall with Albert Finney, who was in the Bourne movies and so was in the Bourne movies with um, Matt Damon. Matt Damon, now I'm trying to connect it here. Hmm. Matt Damon was in, oh, yes, okay, here we go. Matt Damon was in, um, yeah, this is way out of the, uh, Matt Damon was <laughs> in Thor Ragnarok with Chris Hemsworth, who was in the, the reboot of Star Trek with Spock, who was in Star Trek movies. <laughs> with William Shatner, who was in Star Trek Generations with Captain Picard. Wow, that's Patrick Stewart. That way is more way complicated too than what I'm looking at right here. <laughs> this is way too circuitous. I'll tell but, you what I have. Uh, yeah. Daniel Craig was in The Golden Compass with Ian McKellen, who was yeah. in X-Men Days of Future Past with Sir yeah. Patrick Stewart. Golden, uh, Golden Compass was the one I was trying to think of, and I couldn't get there. Yeah, so that, yeah. that was uh, a fairly simple one. Which I just needed to get somewhere. The opposite of that. Yeah. <laughs> I just needed to, I needed to take a stream of consciousness and go somewhere with that. All right. So this one you can get to with one step if you come up with the right movie. So we'll see. I will give you. So there's a step in between or these two people are. No, there's one step in between. Okay. Okay. And it is Meryl Streep and Chris Hemsworth. And one of the connecting movies, one of the connecting movies was one that I just said, actually. So that would be, I'm guessing, Thor. Uh, Love and Thunder. Or Thor. Which, which Thor would you say? <laughs> <laughs> Love and Thunder hasn't come out yet. Yeah, it hasn't come out yet. So it's not that one. Uh, Thor and... kind of feel like Jeff Goldblum might be the connecting point, but I, my Meryl Streep knowledge is not as uh, robust as it should be. All right, I will give you the, the connecting movie. Okay. So you were correct that the final step is Thor Ragnarok with Chris Hemsworth. The intermediate movie is Stuck on You. 
Yeah, can I phone a friend? Have you seen Stuck on You? I'm talking to my wife, by the way. Because <laughs> I don't think I have. <laughs> oh, that's a great <laughs> well, that movie. That makes things difficult. <laughs> yes. All right, so it's uh, Stuck on You was Greg Kinnear and Matt Damon. Who oh, the are... one where they're literally conjoined, but I never yes. watched the movie. Yes, conjoined twins. So Meryl Streep was in that movie. So they, they, they like desire to meet Meryl Streep. So Meryl Streep is in that movie. And then Matt Damon then played mm-hmm. Thor Ragnarok yep. with Chris Hemsworth. I'm doing very well at this game, just like I thought I would. Yeah, it's great. tough. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking up another one right now. So give me a second here. Okay. I feel like this one should be easy if I can find the right one. Oh, that's, that's good. That's okay. real good. All right. All right. Um, so I think I want to try it the, the way I had suggested, which sure. is to give you the couple movies in between. I'll give you the um, the begin. I'll give you. How should I do this? Name the beginning actor. And then the two movies. Yeah, we'll try it that way. Um, so the beginning person is Jeff Goldblum. Okay. Uh, the first movie is The Grand Budapest Hotel. Hmm. The second movie is Road to Perdition. Okay. Grand Budapest Hotel, Road to Perdition. And I can say the actor in the middle was fairly significant, had a fairly significant role in both of those movies. Shoot, it's been way too long since I've seen Road to Perdition. Um, I'm going to go with the ending actor is Tom Hanks. That is correct. Okay. Um, the connecting actor is... Shoot. If you don't get it, you're going to be really mad at yourself for not getting it. It's... Um... Grand Budapest Hotel is... Um... I'm blanking out. Was it the Mater D? Yes. I the Mater D, and I'm blanking out on his name. Jude Law. Jude Law, thank you. It was the Mater D, and he also played the photographer slash guy stalking Tom Hanks' character in Road to Perdition. Yep. Okay, so we'll do another one your way. All right, and so I will give you the first – actually, I will give you – the last actor the last actor in the chain and then we'll go in reverse and we'll see if you can come up with the the other actors all right so the last actor in the chain is christian bale okay then it goes to the movie public enemies then it goes to the movie gone in 60 seconds and then we arrive at the final actor Is the final actor Nicolas Cage? It is not. And actually, actor is technically correct, but I will say actress. Angelina Jolie. Which, of course, gives it away because there's basically only (laughs) one movie in that entire... Uh, Johnny Depp. No. Okay. Who else is in public? That's another movie that I know of but never watched. I yeah. feel so dumb. It's probably easier to go from the Gone in 60 Seconds side. Okay. So I'm going Gone in 60 Seconds uh, was Angelina Jolie, who was in Public Enemies with someone. Who, or, who Angelina Jolie was in Gone in 60 Seconds with this okay, actor. Okay, gotcha. This actor was in Public Enemies with Christian Bell. Why am I blanking on the people who are in Gone in 60 Seconds? Because I've seen that movie so many times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, was John Voight in Gone in 60 Seconds? No. Okay. Whenever Angelina Jolie comes up, I obviously think of him. <laughs> <laughs> They're all being related to each other thing. Uh <laughs> Man, I'm going to feel really stupid for not getting this. And it's not Nicolas Cage. It's not Nicolas Cage. Because he was not in Public Enemies. No. Um, 
Was the person in Gone in 60 Seconds like a significant part yes. of the movie? Mm -hmm. He was one of the crew. Like, I can see all their faces and I'm completely blanking on the actors who played them. I think I know which one it is. I just don't remember his stupid name. Can you give me his role? If you give me his role, I'll give you credit for it. Is it the younger brother? Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's uh, Giovanni Ribisi. Okay. Yeah, I never, I never would have picked that name out. Like, I see his face, but I just couldn't pick his name out of my head. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. So say, say the whole thing from the beginning. So Angelina Jolie was in Gone in 60 Seconds with Giovanni Ribisi, who was in Public Enemies with Christian Bell. I think we're going to move on now. Hey, that was fun, though. It was as, fun. As uh, awful as I did, I think we kept it pretty fun. So, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so um, the, big, the big part of our watch list, um, let's talk about The Little Things. So The Little Things was the movie that just came out this past week uh, with, uh, it came out simultaneously in theaters and HBO Max. So we'll do like we do with our normal movie reviews. We'll give our initial impressions and opinions without any spoilers. And then we'll give you a spoiler warning and then we'll start discussing the film in detail. Um, so um, The Little Things starred um, Denzel Washington and Rami Malek and Jared Leto. And it was basically about uh, Rami Malek and Denzel Washington attempting to track down a serial killer who they believe is Jared Leto. So, Rob, what were your what were your thoughts on the movie? Uh, I want to say just overall um, general thoughts. I know one thing that we had discussed was if Rami Malek would uh, be able to transition into a different kind of character or role, and I. Uh, without going into too much detail, I thought he uh, did pretty well with that personally. Um, he he plays this tortured detective who is kind of coming up in the world as far as uh, police work goes. And I think that he embodied that pretty well. Um, I do think it was uh, different from stuff he's done before. Uh, I don't think it was like the most emotive performance I've ever seen, but it definitely was not like Keanu Reeves wooden. <laughs> I think there was some depth in, in angles in it. Um, I think the, when we, when we get some more details about the movie, we can talk about this, but um, the little things in the movie aren't necessarily about the main plot. There, there's something else going on too throughout the movie. We'll talk about when we get to that. Uh, I thought that I think a lot of people will walk away from the movie going what <laughs> or being uh, maybe not satisfied because we're used to movies where you get like a concrete ending and the good guys win and like we can feel good about it. And I don't think this movie ends that way. And for I, I like that. I like having to think about a movie when it's over, but a lot of people might be put off by that. Uh, so I think it's definitely a thinking, uh, thinking kind of movie, which is not for everybody, but um, I thought it was pretty well done. Uh, what are your initial thoughts? So I would say that more so, to, to go off your Rami Malek um, take, I would say it was more so that the role seemed to be tailored for him mm. than it was that he broadened his horizons for this role. Uh, I thought he was perfectly adequate and good at times uh, with his performance, but I don't think it was something altogether different than what he has done previously. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so I don't think he was bad by any stretch. And I mean, you know, there are plenty of actors, Keanu Reeves being a great example, who can make a whole career out of playing a very similar role. And, and that's fine. And I'm not saying that he is limited or not limited. I'm saying this is not the movie that's gonna transform him into a broader actor. Yeah, um, and in and, and iRobot, he played like a mentally tortured computer hacker. And in this movie, he played a mentally tortured police detective. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, overall, I liked the movie. Um, I thought it had, it was a slow burn, you know? It was a movie that keeps a, a low level of tension humming along and it does just enough to keep the story moving 
and to keep a low level of tension brooding there. Um, I would say that I, I'm not entirely sure that it delivered on, on the tension it was building mm -hmm. completely, uh, in part because of the, the turn that they took with it, which I don't, I don't, in and of itself, I don't have a problem with it. And I think when you go back and look at the movie, which we'll get into, um, they did set it up to have an ending like that. But I do think, I do think there's a level of dissatisfaction that you are going to come away with from it. Now that doesn't mean you shouldn't see it. And it doesn't mean that it's not a good movie, but there is a level of dissatisfaction. I think that's inherent in it. Yeah. There's a lack of resolution. I guess the argument could be made whether that was a good artistic choice or not. Yeah. Is where you, where you make an argument. Yeah. And you can, you can see it going either way. So I would say it's a good movie. It does, it does keep you engaged. Um, so you're gonna, you're gonna enjoy it. You're gonna stay along with it. Um, and I would say the recommendation is to focus more on the characters. The more you focus on the characters in the movie, the more likelihood that it's gonna pay off for you as you watch. Yeah, I thought uh, just to give a general overview, like I thought it was phenomenally written and shot and acted. And I still walked away wondering how much I really liked it. Yeah. <laughs> and I would say, I would say for me, the standout part of this movie was Jared Leto. Oh yeah. I it's thought phenomenal. he was unbelievable. I mean, his, his role, he just, he was, he was a master as the bad guy. You know, one moment he's, he's playing, you know, innocent, friendly, the next moment he's vicious. And, and the next moment he's sly and smart. You just, you know, he was all over the place in, in such a great way. And, and his character was so dynamic and he was fantastic. He needs to be in more movies. Yeah, he's very good at being a creepy person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, really, really good. So let's talk about some details. Okay, so this is your spoiler warning. We are going to get into details of the little things. We're going to give stuff away. So if you have not seen the movie and want to remain pure as the driven snow when it comes to spoilers, uh, skip ahead to the next part. You can check out in the comments how far ahead you got to skip. It's a good okay. analogy because we got like 10 inches of snow a couple days ago. So yeah, there you true. go. All spoiler right. alert. Spoilers. <laughs> Here we go. All right, let's break it down, Rob. Where do you want to start? Uh, like I hinted at earlier, I think that um, maybe the biggest thing of this movie, and I think that they maybe could have done more with it to bring it out. I can understand why they didn't, but uh, the little things, like yeah. what, what is the little things that we're talking about? And I think that the story of trying to find out who the serial killer is, is like what you're expecting the movie to be about when you go in. But there's this other storyline going on that Denzel Washington's character, the police detective, shot and killed someone in the line of duty, and they covered it up. And so there's this, I guess there's this, like, um, overarching storyline going on with him where he sees what this other guy is going through and doesn't want him to have to go through the same, like, personal trauma or experience because that little the little thing of them covering that up has like haunted him for the rest of his life basically and destroyed his marriage destroyed his career and he doesn't want it to happen to this other guy and he sees it happening to this other guy like right in front of him and at the end of the movie he tries to assuage that and get the guy to really believe that they did the right thing and at first when they when they uh, they show the, him opening Rami Malek's character opening a package that has the red barrette in it which was on the one girl who died and so that's and with a note um there are no angels and denzel washington's character is trying to tell him like don't let this haunt you we we got it like you solved it and then and it, at that point you're like oh yeah that's the resolution i want like they, they did the right thing because it's kind of been like tenuous but then they cut back to Denzel Washington throwing uh, a package of barrettes into a fire. So he got that himself and sent it to him. So it wasn't actually from the serial killer's belonging. So 
it's still up in the air whether or not they caught the right person. And by caught, I mean murdered to death by hitting in the face with a shovel repeatedly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I think everything about the movie revolves around the way it ended. There's no getting around it. Every single thing revolves around the way it ended. And the fact that you get zero resolution to the primary storyline of the murdered girls, both the murdered girls from five years previous and the murdered girls in the present day of the movie, that how you feel about that will determine how you feel about this movie. Um, and looking back on it, you can see how they were subtly navigating this story more towards the characters than they were towards the actual plot. But they spent an awful lot of time in the movie investigating these murders. Mm -hmm. And so to then not resolve that leaves a significant amount of the actual movie rendered essentially moot. Now, whether that payoff for the, for the guessing at the end is worth it, I don't know. I haven't come to a firm conclusion on that. I really I, do think I need to see it a couple more times. Yeah, I think, I think like the ending is perfectly justified from the standpoint of they clearly set it up. They clearly set it up that Remy Malik's character was going down the same path that Denzel Washington traveled. So it was obvious that they were setting up this dynamic and that at some point Denzel Washington was going to have to either intervene or to basically take that on for him at some point. So they set that up very well. And so from the standpoint of what happened, that was not a tremendous shock, but the fact that they then didn't, didn't give you any resolution on that because on, on the murders is, is, is difficult because they spent so much time on it. And yeah, so the reality is that the movie is a character driven piece about uh, people's inner turmoil. Yeah. That's what the movie is, but it's yeah. wrapped around this storyline of trying to catch this guy. But the storyline yeah. of trying to catch the guy is not the point of the movie. No. And I think that um, everything I saw, we've talked about marketing before, like everything you saw about the movie was about trying to catch the guy. Yeah. But uh, to be fair to them, I think it's very hard to market. This movie is going to be a character piece about people experiencing inner turmoil. Like, how do you <laughs> how do you market a movie like that? I don't know if it's even possible to do that. And yeah. the very begin the, the thing that maybe makes the the ending how they got there a little more frustrating, I think, is that the very beginning piece of the set piece of the movie where there's a girl like being chased down by this ominous vehicle, like that's that was terrifying. And that was like that set up to me like that kind of movie that we're talking about, where it's like this procedural, mm -hmm. we gotta find this guy. Um there's twists and turns, we have setbacks, and we just keep trying to find this guy. But then this movie was more like, we found the guy, now we just have to make him admit that he's the guy <laughs> for like an hour, basically. And to his credit, like you said earlier, I think Jared Leto portrayed that phenomenally. Yeah. Uh, like this uh, crime buff slash psychopath who is who knows everything about the workings of the police system and uses it all against them as they're trying to investigate him and just knows exactly the right words to say to get them upset at one point causing Denzel Washington's character to like literally punch the wall because he's so frustrated with him yeah and I think I think the re is the most redeeming thing about it is Jared Leto's character because you go back and this is part of and this is part of the frustration in the movie because as as someone watching the movie and his acting was so fantastic one moment you're convinced he did it the next moment you you really start doubting yourself about that. You know, I don't know. I don't know that he did do it. And he, he's doing such a good job going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth about this. And, and so then to not get a resolution to whether he was or wasn't is, is, is a little difficult. And I do like the, I, 
I like the little details they throw in there that make you mm -hmm. question or get frustrated. And I think that they're put in there to make you feel the frustration of the characters yeah. themselves. Like when Jared Leto's uh, character comes out of the elevator and the witness sees him, she's not supposed to see him like before being able to identify him in a lineup or pictures because then when they show her the pictures, she's like, oh yeah, you have that guy here already. Like that completely ruins mm -hmm. any credibility when you're performing an investigation because you've planted, uh, you've incepted an idea into her mind that this <laughs> might be the person uh, who did it because he's there. So obviously he's guilty of something. Yeah. But I, I think that is something that happens in real life. Yeah. Um, so to see that kind of thing portrayed was pretty neat. But like you said, this is not a movie for people who like a nice, clean, mm -hmm. tidy resolution. We'd be happy that the good guys won and everything's okay with the world again. See, and part of part of it for me is I love movies about investigations where they where they have to they have to go down every angle. They have to piece all the clues together. They have to find that one little detail that's going to switch the case over and it's going to make it happen. I love movies like that. And so, especially with something called the little things, and they were setting up, you know, multiple times, it's, it's the little things that get you caught. I mean, it seemed like they were hinting that some, one of these little details was going to come out and was going to make all the difference. And yeah. it didn't. And so it turns out it's the little things going the other directions that make you lose your mind. <laughs> yeah. You know, so yeah, so it's it's tough. Yeah, it's tough on that one. So yeah, like I said, um, this is my overarching thought. Like I thought, technically, pretty much everything about the movie was good. Just a matter of, you know, does the ending take away from that, or does it enhance it? If we're looking at it as a character piece. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking at it as a straight character piece, I think the ending is really good. But that's not what we were told the movie was going to be, I don't think. Yeah. But also, I mean, like I said, I don't know if it's fair to judge the movie that way because I don't think you really can market a movie as <laughs> what it, <laughs> what that was. You know, I think the, the twist and turn of what the movie actually became was part of the point. Yeah. You know, so the question is, did they achieve that? Did they pull it off? Was it worth it? And I think that's up to everybody. They're going to have to decide for themselves. And I think this is a movie too, where, where some movies you need to see more than once. And so um, knowing what the ending is changes how you perceive everything that preceded before it. So then going back and revisiting the movie, knowing the ending, will that change anything? I'll have to see. And I'll, I'll say too that uh, being a big fan of how things are shot, the cinematography and editing in this movie was really high class, in my opinion. There's one scene that really jumped out to me as I watched it the first time, where they transitioned from, Denzel, from a truck headlights pulling up into Denzel Washington's face, and the headlight came out like right at his eye. Yeah. And it's just little things like that that are like, those are my geek moments. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, the, oh, did you just see that? <laughs> or the transition where uh, Denzel starts looking in the side view mirror, and in the side view mirror is his flashback to a previous crime scene, mm. and yeah, then that was it good. zooms back into the mirror, and it's him him looking at what's actually behind it. That transition was really fantastic, and it was it was a unique one that I hadn't seen a transition done like that. Yeah, yeah, they definitely did some. Uh pretty cool stuff with the camera work and the editing in the movie. Yeah. So, and, and despite the fact that it is about serial killers, you see some graphic images, but there's, there's almost no actual violence in the movie. So it's basically just looking at graphics of dead bodies. So mm -hmm. if that's something that really freaks you out about, you know, there really is no actual violence. It's just uh, imagery. If you get uh, triggered by people getting hit in the face with a shovel, you might not want to watch, though. <laughs> <True>. <laughs> yeah, so I, I would recommend it. I would say definitely check it out. Go see it. 
Um, and we'd be fin we'd be really interested to hear what your takes on. So if you've seen it, uh, definitely send us a comment and let us know what you think about it. Definitely. Okay. Well, I think um, I think we're going to wrap up here. And uh, since we spent so much time on, on this movie and on our game, let's uh, let's wrap it up with this. Rob, any last thoughts for the evening? Uh, keep watching movies, recommend movies for us to watch that you haven't heard us talk about yet. And, uh, keep telling your friends about the podcast because we need other people in foreign countries and in our own country to be listening Absolutely. and watching, subscribing. Absolutely. So until next time, rate, subscribe, share, do all the things that Rob told you to do. Um, and just just, uh, yeah, send us, send us the comments. We'd love to know what you're watching and what you thought of, uh, of the movies we talked about. So uh, until next time, enjoy the movies. It's the little things. <laughs>